Hey, what is up, you guys? Welcome back to Heading for Heaven podcast. This is episode three called Lead Me Not. I'm trying to release about three episodes a month just because of work and school and stuff. This is just what works for right now. But this is the third episode. Like I said, it's called Lead Me Not. It's all about temptation. If you've heard the Lord's Prayer, you've heard Lead Me Not to Temptation, but Deliver Me from the Evil One. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But today we are going to be looking at Matthew 4. It is a story about Jesus in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. And yeah, I just want to jump right in with y'all. But before we start, I do just want to say thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. I got a few DMs afterwards of just a few people being super encouraging and super kind. So that's been such a blessing to see how supportive and gracious you guys are with me as I am starting a podcast up for the first time. So as I said before in my previous episodes, you guys are more than welcome to message me on Instagram, DM me, give me any input. I want to hear from you guys. Give me topics, give me questions, anything you want. My DMs are always open. Follow us on Instagram, heading for heaven. There's two ends in heaven. But yes, you guys are completely welcome to do that. Okay, like I said, today we're going to be talking about temptation. I am going to be reading out of Matthew 4 today, NLT version, all about Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And just to give you guys some context, right before this story, Jesus was just baptized by John the Baptist. He was identifying with us through baptism, giving us an example of the next step in our faith. And so now in this story, he's identifying with us through temptation, showing us how to combat temptation, what we need to do to fight that. So Jesus in the story was led into the desert by the spirit. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, no food. He was hungry and he was met by the devil and the devil was there tempting him. He, you're going to see him tempting him in three ways. And every single time you will see Jesus combat temptation with scripture, with confidence, with boldness. And today I really just want to unpack how do we combat temptation? What is our job? What is temptation? When does temptation arise? And how do we stand boldly against it? Because sometimes I think we can get mixed up in this word temptation, thinking like, oh no, if I get tempted, I'm a sinner. I'm a terrible person. I'm sinning when I'm tempted. Because something I want to clear up right from the jump is that temptation itself is not a sin. It's how you react to temptation, how you act on that temptation. Temptation can lead to sin, but it doesn't have to be sin itself. So today we are really going to give you guys some tools, some tips on how to feel not as unequipped walking into temptation, giving you guys some encouragement as to how you guys can really combat temptation. So starting off, point one really ties back to my second episode all about the word. The word is your greatest weapon when it comes to temptation. In this story, Jesus could have easily sent Satan away. He's the son of God. He could have just told Satan to go away, but instead he chose to show us how to combat temptation. And that's with scripture. And when we're talking about the Bible, the Bible is constantly referencing itself as a sword, right? It's powerful. A sword is powerful. It's a good weapon, but a weapon is not effective to you unless you know how to use it. So if I had a sword, a physical weapon, a sword, 
and I did not know how to use it and I go out into battle, I will make myself look like a fool because I just don't know how to use it. So just like the word, like it is a weapon and Jesus used this weapon of the Bible because it was effective and it was only effective because he understood it. So if we are ignorant to the word and then we are honestly like poorly armed in the fight against temptation. So just like I said before, it is so important that you are getting into your word and that you're digging deeper and just truly asking God to reveal things to you and to just show you how powerful the word can be. So Jesus's example to us in this story is to first off use scripture. So in Matthew 4, this is Satan speaking. He says, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So pause. This is the devil and he is quoting scripture, meaning that Satan knows some scripture. And as I was reading this, I was like, wait, where is this scripture even from? He's quoting scripture. Satan says, for the scriptures say, and so I was looking into it and he's quoting Psalms 91, 11 through 12. And I was like, dang, Satan knew the scripture and I didn't know what he was referencing. And so then I was thinking, I was like, does Satan know more scripture than I do? And I was like, not that the scripture is not made available to me, but it is so pressing that I need to be in my Bible because if I know that my enemy who I'm up against knows some of the scripture, then I need to be equipped with scripture. Scripture is our greatest weapon. Like I was saying before, it is our sword. And so if I'm going up against the enemy that also knows what scripture is, then I need to know how to more effectively use it. The thing about Satan though, is that he only twists and lies and deceives. So when he uses scripture, a lot of times he is seen using it out of context, applying it to situations that are not true, not valid. And that's why you're going to see Jesus combat him with scripture the right way, knowing how to use the weapon of scripture the right way each and every time. So that's my first point. The word is your greatest weapon. The second point is you have to know your enemy, just like any sports team going on the field, ready to play a game. A lot of times, even when I played volleyball, we would watch tapes of previous games that our opponents were playing in the past just so that we know sort of their pattern their structure their game plan because it helped us better defeat them in a game so reading matthew 4 verse 8 it says again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor he said to him i will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me then jesus told him go away satan for it is written worship the lord your god and serve only him. So these verses are revealing Satan's desire in this situation. Satan is wanting credit and recognition. He wants credit and recognition, and his mode of attack is deception. Like I said before, Satan cannot create. He can only try to warp and distort what already is. He takes what is good, and he loves to manipulate it, and that's where it can get tricky, because the danger of temptation is greatest when it seems good but the heart is deceitful and we cannot trust it. And that's where we need to ask for discernment and just trust the Holy Spirit's eyes in those situations. Because the thing with sin, I feel like a lot of times our society and our culture, and even in Christian culture, is sometimes we have approached sin as a normalcy. Like we have very much normalized 
sin and we've normalized repentance, but there needs to be an eye opening, like awakening that sin seeks to destroy you. You are the master of it, but sin does desire you. You have authority over it. Sin is not something that is a gentleman, right? It's not just going to come up to you and be like, hey, um, you should do this if you, if you want. Like, no, literally scripture says that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. It prowls around like a lion seeking to destroy you. But you are the master of it. You do hold authority over it because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You have authority in scripture. You have authority in your father because you are his child. So we prevent sin from ruling over us by allowing God to master us first. So what does that mean? So automatically, when you are a child of God, when you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, repented of your sins and see him as your father, you hold a different authority than anyone else in that moment. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. And in that, you do see right and wrong. You have the Holy Spirit to guide you, to convict you, to show you what decisions you need to make and what you need to stay away from. So we have a filter for sin in a way. Because without the Holy Spirit, I would be falling into sin all the time. But because I am a daughter of the King, I am able to speak in the face of sin, with scripture, knowing who my enemy is in times of temptation. Jesus had authority over the grave. He had authority over death, over life. And so because he sent his Holy Spirit to live in me, I too have authority. But I just want to preface, I am a sinner. I too still fall into sin. I too will ignore the Holy Spirit promptings because I am not perfect and God is continuing to sanctify me and to make me look more like his son. But just because we have these weapons doesn't mean you need to feel ashamed that you still are falling into sin because I promise you until the day we die, we will be falling into sin because we are imperfect. But that is where God's grace comes in and that's where repentance comes in. Okay, moving on. Third point trust your outside perspectives. So sometimes, actually a lot of times when it comes to temptation, sometimes we do not see that we're falling into temptation because we have been so blinded by our choices, by our desires, by our sin, that we cannot even notice that we are falling into temptation, that we are being faced with temptation. It is something that you need to be aware of that you are going to be facing mostly every single day. So for this point, I'm going to be reading out of Numbers chapter 22. So in this story, it is all about this man named Balaam. In this story, Balaam was basically offered a bunch of money to go curse the Israelite people. This king named King Balak was offering him money to basically drive out the Israelites with a curse. So Balaam's like, wow, okay, that's a good offer. But first, hey, let me consult with God. What does he have to say about this? So Balaam goes to God. He's like, hey, God, am I allowed to curse your people? This guy's offering me a lot of money. And newsflash, God is not in favor of Balaam cursing his favorite people in the world. So he says no. So then again, Balaam gets offered a large sum of money, this time a lot more money by King Balak saying, hey, please curse these people. I will give you even more money. And so Balaam, already having a word from God saying that he wasn't supposed to do that, goes back to God and it's like, hey God, 
can I, like, what do you think? Consulting God again about something that God has already given him an answer to. So this time God says, listen, if the men come back to get you, it's okay to go with them. But he has not given him permission still at this point to curse his people. So this next part of the story is what I want to focus on in regards to my third point. So Balaam is seen disobeying God, right? God told him only if these people come back to you, are you allowed to go with them? But Balaam takes it upon himself, saddles his donkey and starts heading to Moab after God clearly told him not to do that. So reading from Numbers 22, verse 22, it says, God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat and turned it back onto the street. So I want to focus on that. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. So it seems as if the donkey was more spiritually perceptive than the prophet was. He acknowledged the creator, but Balaam had been ignoring God and spiritually blinded by his own disobedience. So when I say trust your outside perspectives, in this moment, because of disobedience, Balaam could not see the temptation in front of him. Even the donkey saw it. And we see this constant battle between Balaam and the donkey, the donkey pushing and fighting to get out. Balaam beating the donkey again over and over and over. Balaam was attacking what was trying to save him. He was attacking the very thing that was trying to warn him. And he was fighting the wrong enemy. And that's why it's so important. You got to know who your enemy is and you need to know who your trusted outside perspectives are. And so as we see Balaam beating this donkey over and over for freaking out and warning him about the danger that's ahead, Balaam was honestly beating the donkey out of pride. He loved being ignorant to his own sin. So in moments like this, I can encourage you to ask yourself, what am I not seeing? Because Balaam was not being attentive to the very angel of the Lord that was right in front of him. You need accountability to point out when you are falling into temptations. The angel was right in front of him. The donkey even called him out. In times of temptation and sin, we can be so blind to it especially when that sin has become a pattern, it's even harder to see that it's actually sin. So in times of sin or in times that you're being tempted and people are trying to warn you, who are you fighting? Are you fighting your accountability? Are you fighting people that love you and that you trust that are trying to warn you and steer you away from sin? Or are you fighting the enemy? Okay, then we're going to pick up in verse 28. It says, Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. He said, you have made me look like a fool. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. And then the donkey says, but I am the same donkey you have ridden all of your life. The donkey answered, have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam then bowed his face and fell down on the ground before him. So maybe you can relate to the donkey in some situations. Maybe you are the one calling out a friend, calling out someone close to you for something that you see them stepping danger into. So I ask you the questions. Are you willing to be the misunderstood donkey to redirect someone when needed? And that's hard. It truly is hard to have somebody super close to you seeing them walk straight into danger, the danger of sin, 
and falling into temptation. It is difficult to be on the other side, but knowing that in the end you are making a decision to protect them and do it out of love, guys. Doing it with truth and grace is so, so important. But I just want to pose the question that who are you fighting when it comes to sin? Are you too prideful to receive correction and accountability from other people? Or are you willing to see things that you cannot see, to have your eyes opened and to just remain humble and open to correction in those moments of temptation? Because although temptation arises, God will always provide a way out. In 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And this is a promise. God will always provide a way out. There's nothing that the devil can force you to do when you are a child of God. You have the decision to step out of temptation because God will always provide a way out of it. And I think oftentimes we can be like Balaam. We can be quick to blame others or to blame the circumstances rather than just taking ownership and accountability on our own. But notice what the donkey says. He says, but I am the same donkey you have ridden all of your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? And so when we are receiving correction, people and things around us have reputations. You need to focus on that. So when someone I love and a mentor I love is calling me out for something, I know it can sting and I know it can be hard to be called out for something. I know our pride can take a hit, but knowing who that person is and what their reputation is, if I know this person loves me and cares for me and has been supportive of me, I don't really have space to question their intentions. If I know that their reputation and past love and support with me has only been pure. And later on, we see Balaam realize that it's the angel of the Lord. And I think that can be very similar to us too. Later on, we realize, wait, that was God. That was God all along. But I know in certain times we can get frustrated almost and mad at his protection. So to wrap that all up, trust your outside perspectives, know your enemy, and the word is your greatest weapon. So the last thing I want to talk about is you need to be proactive when it comes to temptation. We cannot have a part-time faith or a part-time walk with God when there's full-time temptations all around us. So going back to Matthew 4, like I said, before Jesus was tempted, he was just exiting a time of baptism. He was just baptized. God just gave him a blessing, spoke life over him. So Jesus' previous circumstances before his moment of temptation in the wilderness was, one, he just engaged in a public act of obedience. Two, he was blessed with heavenly assurance. And three, he was filled with the Spirit. So I think just because, like, we need to remember just because we are in a great season that things are looking good, uh, we're really getting deeper with the Lord, don't think that you are not susceptible to temptation. Your obedience and your honoring of the Lord in your season makes you a threat to the enemy. Your obedience is a threat to the enemy's work. Jesus was being tempted through his strengths, power, protection, and provision. The devil took him up and was like, I will give you all of this world if you would just bow down to me. He was being tempted with power. The devil told him to throw himself and that the angels will save him. That's protection. And then the devil told Jesus to turn the stones into bread. 
and that's God's strength of provision. So do not allow your strengths to become traps because I think a lot of times the enemy loves to do that. He loves to attack and poke at our strengths to turn them into something bad because the enemy takes what is good and he loves to manipulate it to be something that could be evil. But thank the Lord that God takes what the enemy uses for evil and he uses it for good. Even going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, we see that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, right? They ate the fruit from the tree of life that they were told not to eat. That was the very first temptation. And Eve can argue like, God, like the snake was right in front of me. The snake told me to do it. But just because temptation is placed right in front of you, that is not a sign that it is for you. And I'm going to say that one more time. Sometimes temptation is placed right in front of you, but that is not a sign that it is for you. I think we can get wrapped up in that too. We're like, oh, but like maybe God sent us this because he, it's for me. Like it's my season. Like I just think it's a sign. No, sin is sin. Just because temptations in front of you does not mean that it's designed for you. So while God does not tempt us to do evil, he does allow us to pass through periods of testing. Because like I said, temptation itself is not a sin, but it's the action from the temptation. It can lead to sin, but it does not have to. And I also want to tell y'all there is a big difference between something being sinful and something being unwise. So being in an unwise situation can breed temptation, which can then lead to sin. So I even say take that boundary of temptation a step farther and say, I'm going to avoid the unwise. So not necessarily like I'm going to avoid sin, but even avoiding the unwise. Because, for example, putting yourself in an unwise situation only is tempting you to sin. You don't even need to put yourself in that situation. So if I know like, oh, I struggle with gossip, I'm not going to go hang out with people that gossip all the time because that would only create a temptation. If I know I struggle with alcohol, I'm not going to go to a party, to a place that's serving alcohol because that's unwise. I may argue and be like, oh, well, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to sin. But why would I put myself in an unwise situation to tempt myself? That's unnecessary temptation. So as I was choosing the title of this episode, Lead Me Not, going back to the Lord's Prayer, we prayed that in elementary school. Maybe you prayed that in Sunday school at church, but I was getting convicted of like, I'm not going to sit here praying like, Lord, lead me not into temptation. God, when you put yourself in bad positions on your own. So we can't sit here being like, God, like, I don't want to sin in this area. God, lead me not into temptation when I'm putting myself in unwise situations. So those are the four points. Number one, the word is your greatest weapon. You've got to know your enemy, trust your outside perspectives, and you need to be proactive about temptation. So I know this is a heavy topic, so I want to leave you guys with a bit of encouragement. We're going to read out of James 1, starting in verse 12. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all things in the light. 
He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So I promise you guys that with the word and with communion with God and fellowship and just knowing your enemy and trusting your people, we will be able to combat temptation. There's always a way out. There is freedom in being his child. There's power and authority that you hold over sin and the enemy because of whose you are. So I encourage you to walk in that power, walk in that authority, because you are more than a conqueror. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode three, Lead Me Not, of Heading for Heaven podcast. I will see you guys next month with a new episode.